0: Hello, everyone, and welcome. It is such a great privilege to me to welcome back Bev Flaxton to with us today. Many of you have heard our previous interviews, and you understand the work that and the impact that Bev has on the people that she works with. Today, we're going to talk about, as I just mentioned, a whole bunch of stuff, but we're going to make sure to touch on a topic that I think a few of us might have to deal with every now and then, which is that negative self-talk that creeps up every now and then in our lives. So, such a pleasure to have you back, Beth.
1: My gosh, Mo, I have to say that, you know, I do a lot of interviews, but this is one I get very excited about because I just love the work you're doing, love talking to you. So I'm thrilled to be here today.
0: As I am. And as I said, I'm going to go all over the place today because if I get 30 minutes with you, I'm going to take advantage of it. Uh, you've been in the people business your entire life on lots of different fronts. And for most people nowadays, Bev, I don't need to tell you, life isn't so easy. But we have a tendency to make it even more complicated. Why is that?
1: (laughs) You know, I I have my own theories on some of this, Mo, and I think that it's a combination of the fact that uh, we're not taught. I think, good coping skills. We're not taught how to overcome obstacles, um, how to think about a problem differently. I, I have three children, they're working their way through the school system, and I also teach college, and so I of see that, that picture along the way. And there, there's few situations where we're really focused on just where do you find that inner fortitude and those, develop those skills to be able to overcome the obstacles. So we'll learn them throughout life situations, but rarely are we taught a a process-oriented, practical way to look at it. That's number one. And then I think number two, we do tend to take in the messages that are more negative messages over time, whether it's from parents or teachers or someone we respected saying, you know, you can't do that. And we start to own it and think, I can't do it.
0: And from a general context, I mean, do you find that is... It's not just fear of failure, right? There are a lot of people who say it's fear of failure and it's fear. And I know fear is embedded there somewhere. But I get the sense that we're just afraid of success as we are failure.
1: Oh, my goodness, without a doubt. You know, it's the idea of the unknown. So it's the idea of, you know, in some ways, even though I'm miserable. And and, and I joke about this with my corporate clients because they'll just go on and on and on about how terrible things are. And, you know, we might present a solution, but, you know, they don't want to do anything differently. And I joke saying, you know, sometimes the, the pain I'm in is the pain I recognize, and that's what's comfortable, and so that's where I want to stay. So moving to that success state, well, what would that look like? And even though I say I want it, do I really want to rock the boat? That can absolutely be as threatening as failing at something.
0: And we hardly Um, ever bring that up.
1: We don't bring it up because our culture is so much about, you know, of course you want that golden ring, right? Of course you want to be able to get to the pinnacle. Of course you want it. But for many people, we talk about it as self-sabotage right? They'll sabotage themselves because really deep down they don't, they either think they don't deserve it or they don't know what life will be like when they get there. And so we do, we prevent ourselves from getting to that state that we say we desire.
0: Bev, we talked a lot last time about anxiety and the way we manage it. And I have to touch on it again, because again, it's Everyone deals with it at some point throughout the the course of almost every day. What is likely to trigger anxiety?
1: You know, this is the insidious thing about it, Mo, is, you know, it comes from so many places. Um, uh, There's a lot that we aren't aware of with our own self talk, where we may, uh, let's say that someone says something to us, and for some reason it triggers a reminder for us of a time that, you know, wasn't so good, we failed, um, something bad happened, and so our minds will start to run away. Now, the situation is just that someone said something something but our mind picks up on it and then takes off and all of a sudden we find ourselves in this anxious state and we can't even figure it out because we haven't even moved we're still sitting in the same seat so there's definitely that i call it storytelling negative storytelling that we do um, and then it is a lot of it really is things like you know not realizing our triggers um, i may you know have had a situation as a as a child where something scared me and so for a your things like that incident scare me, but I'm just unaware of it. So anxiety is so much about our not being aware of what's going on inside our heads, as well as how we're reacting to what's happening outside.
0: And would you say a whole bunch of that is self-inflicted? (laughs)
1: I'm afraid that anxiety is one of those things that we pretty much have to own. (laughs) Um, It's, you know, because there's a difference, though. It's so important to see there's a difference between anxiety and fear. If I am, uh, I live in Boston, and if I choose a very sketchy area, you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm walking there by myself, and I'm a small person, and I'm unarmed, and, you know, I hear gunshots nearby, and and I start to feel fear. That's legitimate. You know, we're wired that way. We're given that natural gift. So I should feel afraid and decide what to do. Anxiety is that just, you know, sometimes even free-floating state that, well, something's wrong, everything's wrong, what's going to be wrong, what's going to happen next to me, what what if I did that over there, what if I do this here? And so it's really not a a natural thing. It's something we bring on ourselves.
0: Yeah, and that's... Beth, here's a dumb question. I was talking to someone the other day about what you do in, in anticipation of our conversation today. And he asked me a very interesting question. He said is worried being worried the same as being anxious? And I hesitated for a second. I said, hmm, that's a good question for Beth.
1: Well, I think that worry, the state of worry brings about anxiousness. I wouldn't say they really are the same thing. Some People can start to let's say Mo that I just bought a new house. This is something that actually happened to me at one point in my in my life, and then the job I have, the unit we find out it's going to be shut down, and um, who knows whether we're going to have jobs or not. So the worry would be, okay, if I don't have a job, how am I going to pay um, my mortgage And you know that's something I need to think about for some people that could generate a state of action, right. I'm not going to stew on this. Let me make, take some steps here and do something. For other people, it could cause so much anxiety that they can't get out of bed. Well, I'm going to lose everything, and why did I think I could have this house, and I don't deserve it. So I think worry can absolutely be a trigger for anxiety, but for some people, they'll see it as, here. I've got a plan so that I don't get stuck,
0: yeah, which is, you know, it, it's really interesting because I see a whole lot. One of the things I shared with them is I see that those who tend to have a, who have a tendency to worry, at least from my view, tend to have a more pessimistic view of the future. Do you see that? Because that's what you would worry about if you were neutral or optimistic about the future. You probably wouldn't have that sense of worry.
1: Yes, and I think that, you know, worry to me is one of these things where it comes about because we don't feel as though we have good coping skills. Uh, We feel unsure about how to manage our lives, what to do next. So worry for some people, I think, feels like action, right? If, um, you know, if I'm worried a lot about not having the money to pay the mortgage and not, um, you know, finding that other job and, you know, if I put my attention to the worry, then then I'm doing something. Um, so I think that, you know, yes, then it causes that sense of pessimism because then you're not doing something. You're somewhat stuck in your head thinking about negative things. Um, And so that can then kind of paint that picture that, you know, life's not so good. Um, I do think there are times where, you know, something happening and I begin to worry can trigger us to action, but you're absolutely right in that you kind of need to have that positive attitude that says, I'm going to figure a way out of this.
0: Well, so do you see optimism as a little bit of a healer?
1: It's You know, it's funny, I'm hesitating because um, in some of this work, especially when I get to a subject like self-talk, and I'll talk to people about the negative things they tell themselves, and how to replace those. I I encounter a lot of resistance, Mo, because people will say, so you just want me to pretend that these issues aren't real. You just want me to tell myself everything is wonderful. You just want me to put on rose-colored glasses. And so I'll say, you know, I just want you to get to a neutral place because why are we choosing between, you know, if you're not negative, you don't have to be ultra positive, you just have to say This is what it is, and I'm going to figure out a way to deal with it. So I think that there's a level of, and I think we see a lot of research on optimism. You know, optimism clearly helps us to get through things. And so I'm a believer in it, and I'm a naturally optimistic person. So I've had to learn how to temper it. Uh, But I think for some people, if they can just get to a state where they're more objective, they're just more neutral about it. It will give them more power
0: let's talk it let's get into self-talk okay and lots that we can do and talk about with that but you're a really grounded person whom i deeply admire give me a glimpse of some of the personal positive self-talk rituals you do for yourself
1: Absolutely. So one of my favorites, um, so I run a full-time consulting business. I teach college. I do a lot of volunteer work. I have three children. I have, you know, Twelve pets at my house, So I'm busy, and so sometimes what will happen to me, Mo, is that somebody might come and you know say, "Here's this opportunity to do this," or ask me to do that. And my trigger is that I'll start to uh, feel that sense of, "Am I taking on too much?" So one of my favorite ones, I'll, and, I and will let stay. me
0: stop you for a second. You are taking off too much, but nobody's counting that. So go on.
1: But I love all of it, <laughs> and I thrive on it. So and, it and actually me don't want you to energizes stop. me. <laughs> That's the key. Don't take on things that bring you down. (laughs) But when I feel that trigger, I will start to, and I've used this one a lot throughout the day, I'll say, you know, I can be good at one thing at a time. I'm going to pick what I'm going to put my focus on right now. And that's been helpful for me because I'm a classic multitasker. And so it's helped me to not be talking on the phone, writing the note, um, trying to order something online, <laughs> trying to sign my daughter up for camp. But you know, I can focus on one thing at a time, and, and I'm going, you know, and I, I want to pick the thing I'm going to focus on. And that's the thing I'm going to be good at right now. So that's one of my favorites, and I find it grounds me, and it does get me very focused, and it makes me more effective. Um, another one is that you know, and I I say this a lot. So I, I love to walk my dogs. That, for me, is a good time to just, you know, be able to think, think about things. Sometimes I come up with good business ideas. Um, but one of the challenges that I'll give myself is, you know, and my self-talk is that I'm going to be very watchful about the thoughts that come into my mind because then I start to see the ones that are negative or they might be, you know, self-doubt or whatever negativity can creep in. It happens to all of us. So I'll say, you know, this is my time to be watchful. You know, I want to be watchful. I want to learn. So those are some of my favorites.
0: When something unexpected throws you for a loop, what do you do? What's your first step?
1: So I would say that, um, and this is a learned behavior for me, that I really do force myself to pause and think about what is it about it that's throwing me for the loop. Um, My my typical reaction, the way I grew up, was always just to try to do something. You know, that action was what was important, so just get on it. And um, a lot of the work that you, you know, will see of mine, you know, comes from learning that that's often where you find yourself in more trouble. So um, I'm a very action-oriented person, but I definitely will pause so what is it about it right now is it the situation itself is that it it's upsetting the apple card on something else i thought i was doing is it that i don't have enough information so it's really to take that pause, mo, and figure out what is it some uh, one of my clients coined it solving the right problem that's my philosophy and i think that is some of it i want to just make sure i know what i'm dealing with
0: and I'm betting that most people listening to us really buy into the whole notion that unless you truly know or understand yourself, it'll be very difficult to appreciate others. You and I know that understanding yourself is a lifetime. It's a tough job. It's a lifetime endeavor. What signals do you look for from someone or even yourself that tells you you're truly grounded? Because it's if we can get something, if we can get better at that every day, we're making maybe the most progress or most important progress we could be making in our life.
1: Isn't that, you know, there's a there's a biblical line that goes something like, you know, content in whatsoever state I'm in, and uh, I've always struggled with it a bit because I don't necessarily want to be content with whatsoever state, but there's something underneath it that I think is, is a part of it that says, you know, kind of that learning to be okay, you know, in my own skin with what I'm doing, and while many of us are working towards something else, it's that state of, you know, today in this moment, I'm okay. So and that's how I think of that groundedness. And I think that in order to get there, we do have to become, though, more aware of those things that will creep in, um, you know, that, that sense of it's not right or I've got to fix something or until this is in place, right? That's a famous one that we live with. Well, until this is in place, I'm not going to be able to rest or, you know, if only this piece over here were working, everything would be okay. And so I do think it's that practice of trying to stop and say, you know, in this moment, you know, this is what I have. And to to look for the value in that moment, a big believer in, you know, trying to just identify what did I do well today, what's going well for me today, what are my, you know, pieces of happiness, what positive things do I have. Um, because the more we do teach ourselves to focus on that in any given moment, the more grounded and, and peaceful, if I could use that word, we will feel more often. But it, it, it does require focus.
0: Don't you think that always starts with telling yourself the truth, which a lot of times we try to kind of color it or sugarcoat it in some way, shape, or form?
1: You know, and it's the balance truth, though, right? So um, in one of the models I created, I I have a step that I call the human factor (laughs) because when we're trying to get to goals, Mo, a lot of times what we don't want to take into account is the human factor, and that's me. That's the fact that I have certain strengths, and I, I like to say to people, my line is, you know, there's certain things that I do, and I do them exceptionally well, and tons of things <laughs> I'm not even going to try, because it's just not what I'm good at. So, you know, I think that there are certain areas that we, you know, we can own them, their are strengths, there's other things that just are not either what we do well, what we like, um, I'm, I'm not good at reading Excel spreadsheets, I don't want to get good at it, and that's okay, but that means if I'm involved in a project that requires that, I better come up with a way to deal with that. So it is that somewhat of honest self-reflection about ourselves and about our situation. But it's the balanced view. I think we we gravitate from, I'm either beating up on myself for not being able to do it well, or I'm, you know, self-aggrandizing and and really just focusing on, you know, how great I am. And there's there's a middle ground for everything.
0: Which takes me back to one of your earlier books when you talked about the disciplines. I think there are five disciplines of understanding people. And the one that always stands out to me is it always starts with me. It's all about me. And some people just get that wrong, but it is all about me.
1: Well, and the thing that's important, I think, for your listeners to understand, um, you know, it's not that we're saying that it is this ego-centered view that we have or that all I care about is me. But the truth is we have accumulated a series of understandings about how the world works, who we are in the world, messages we've taken in, values we've been taught, experiences we've had. And we just cannot help but look at the world through eyes that only belong to me. It's why the Indian saying, walk a mile in someone else's moccasins. But the truth is, it's, I can try to understand you, but I really can't walk in your moccasins because I haven't lived all of what you've lived. And, and I think if we all could just own that, that when we're having a conversation, you know, there's an aspect that I just simply can't avoid that's my filter, we, we would actually have more effective, you know, real conversations and relationships with people if we just dr- drop the pretense that I fully understand you. I, I can't. You know, I'm going to look at the world through the series of... Uh, experiences that make up me. I, I can work to be empathic and sympathetic, and you know, understand what you're telling me. But we really do see the world through our own eyes.
0: And I know I don't remember all five disciplines, but I know the two again that that jump out with me with, with in conjunction with that is the importance of values, that values matter, and the importance of not making assumptions. As you just mentioned, we fall into this trap of making assumptions almost in every single moment. That's why this whole notion of judgment surrounds us.
1: You are absolutely amazing. I just cannot believe the amount um, that you have retained because you are absolutely right. It tells you I'm
0: pretty interested in it, right?
1: Yes, and yes, so you're talking, so secret three, I call that your values speak more loudly than you do. Um, Because what we often don't understand, you know, our values are meaningful to us and they should be. You know, none of what we're talking about here, Mo, I think we can tag as good or bad. It just is, right? Um, So our values are, you know, kind of tell us what's important in the world. And what we don't understand is if mine are different from yours we are talking different languages and I'm going to react negatively to you because you're trying to convince me of something I don't believe. And we spend an awful lot of time trying to do that with other people. Um, and the assumptions that we make that, you know, I think I know, I, I, I had a situation where someone told me a story and I just just love it because I think it sums up so perfectly that, that point. She, she was talking about how she'd made a list for her husband of 20 things that she needed him to pick up at the store. And so she thought it would make sense to number the list, one, two, three, four. Well, he took the list that weekend, and he saw those numbers not as a numbered list, but as numbers of things on a list. Interesting. So he proceeded to buy not number three, the bag of flour, but three bags of flour, until he got to 20, which was a bag of 20-pound dog food, which he then bought 20 of
0: I'm not going and to say And I love anything. the
1: story, right? I love the story because can you picture it? Yes. I mean, yes, he I is so happy with himself. He has worked his tail off for the woman he loves. He comes in and she's ready to absolutely kill him. And it's just because of an assumption that one person saw it one way. And one, and so who's wrong?
0: Hey, he, he, you don't have to buy dog food for a long, that saves you a trip. <laughs>
1: Right? <laughs> you know, uh, and hopefully afterwards they laughed about it. But you can—this is the type of thing that actually will destroy a relationship. And you know, he meant well; she meant well.
0: And, and it makes so much sense, Bev, and, and you, you, that's why your your work resonates because it really—it's. It, Makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense when you think about. Hey, everything starts with me. But at the same time, I can't pretend to know what you're thinking. Number one and number two, I've got to be true to the values that I have. I want to kind of get your opinion on, uh, you know, in speaking with the same person that I just referenced earlier. One of the things that we were talking about is a difference between somebody who has a, a fragile self-esteem and somebody who's got a positive sense of self. And his commentary about the latter, somebody who's really optimistic about who they are, was that that's more egotistical or boastful. I don't really see it that way. I see somebody whose positive self-esteem is somebody who's really grounded in who they are, and they appreciate it. And the fragile self-esteem is somebody who maybe questions who they are, and that's why there is a difference.
1: See, I really, I have a a saying. I think it's what I, I refer to as ego coupled with humility. I do think that we need to have that sense of, I'm okay, I'm good, you know, the way, you know, there was some grand design that created me and, you know, it's supposed to have turned out this way. I think the more we can kind of get into that place where we say this this is what's right, you know, so call it ego, call it self-confidence, call it, I think that you have to have that in order to be able to confront a lot of the things that life throws at you. But that humility piece is important because in my view, and this is my filter on the world, you know, we are all learning, Uh, we all make mistakes. Part of this journey is to make the mistakes so we can learn from it. So we're not going to do things exactly right. We're going to make mistakes. Some of them are going to be big ones. Some of them are going to be smaller ones. And so I think that balance of feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm good with who I am, and at the same time, you know, I'm on a journey to learn and to be able to do better, if you will, is is the right place to be. But I think if you're plagued by self-doubt, you know, there's lots of times you're not going to step out. You're not going to try it. You're not going to do something that might be in your best interest. So I'd rather err a little bit with you on the side of, you know, that inner fortitude, uh, and hopefully balanced with a little sense of, you know, but we are all human and we're all in this together.
0: Bev, what can you say about one's confidence? What you got to have a little confidence in order to kind of do great things in the world. What have you learned or what do you continue to learn about what contributes the most to somebody's confidence?
1: You know, this may uh, strike our listeners as odd, but I'm going to say that one of the primary things, Mo, that I have learned is you can't be on a quest to make everyone happy and to make everyone like you for what you're doing. I mean, because of our filters, because of what, how we see the world, you know there will be people that won't react the way that you think quote unquote maybe they should or they have a different style or they and one of the things about confidence i think is just you know getting to that place where you know, if, if you believe it's true and, and it's not, and again, my view, it's not hurtful to someone else or, you know, go for it, but don't expect you're going to turn around and see everyone clapping for you and saying, this is great. And because that's not always going to happen. So I think that true confidence comes from, you know, that belief in, you know, this is right. And again, not, you know, not anything that's going to be harmful. This is right for and you somewhat have to drop that need for validation and and i think personally i know that's that's been an important part of this journey for me because certainly you know you do this kind of work mode, and i you know online you know sometimes i'll read things you know people have written and um and then i you know i've come to this place to say you know you're just you're trying to do it from a place of you know goodwill and, and confidence and you can't think that everyone's going to feel the same way. So dropping that, and I I see that in my business people I deal with. You know, they want to be validated and liked by everyone, and that's what holds them back. And I think we have to give up that need. It's very difficult for some people.
0: And let me ask you, when you do that and you've understood and feel pretty grounded that I don't have to please everybody, does that just inspire you to go for greater things? Is that kind of a liberating sense of freedom? <laughs>
1: It really is. That's such an insightful. You know, I actually had a physical reaction as you were saying it because I've never really framed it like that before. Um, but really good insight because that's exactly it. I mean, it all. You know, that's I think where that competence piece comes from. It gives you more. You know, license to you know what I I can step out and and do this. Um, so yes, definitely that sense of liberation. And again, you know, I want to be balanced because I have learned over time that my words can sometimes be misinterpreted. I'm not suggesting that we're doing anything that's been harmful or hurtful to someone. You know, you're doing it hopefully from a place of heart. It's a it's a it's a positive place you're coming from. But it is, you know, letting go of that need that it has to be okay with everyone and everyone has to validate it you think about how many people live like this where it could be validation from parents from family from from spouse from colleagues from siblings from and so it's that sense of holding back all the time you know waiting for somebody to say it's okay and if you can kind of get past that need yes i mean there's such liberation on the other side of that
0: Well, you do that every day for people. And I'm so privileged to have the opportunity to have these dialogues with you because it's a never ending conversation. We just hit the pause button until the next time. But there's always so many things that you do in between. So before we hit the pause button, where do you want people to go to learn more about what you've just mentioned? There's so many different places.
1: Yes, well, they can certainly come visit me at thehumanbehaviorcoach.com, and we've been really working hard to post a lot of um, free material up there that people can download and learn you know, more about uh, the things we're talking about here. I do blog at psychologytoday.com, as we've mentioned, and post new blogs there every month too, so people can read other, another free resource.
0: More to come, my friend. Thank you so much.
1: It is my pleasure, Mo. I enjoy talking with you so much and I'll look forward to the next time.